Thank you, Dave. Good afternoon. My name is Ian, if you don't already know that fact. I'm one of the leaders here at Rotherham Evangelical Church, and today we are going to be diving into uh, chapters 8 and 9 of Esther. I've got to feel sorry for Dave there because I told him to read to the end of chapter 9, but we're only going down to actually verse uh, 19 of chapter 9. Still, he gave us a good workout, and he had a good word, and it's God's word, so it's it's all good. But uh, you probably do need to keep your Bible open because it is a big passage. We're going to be jumping around in there. So you might want to keep your finger going through as we, as we search through. Um, but we are, we are in week eight of our series in the book of Esther. It seems to be going so fast. Uh, if you've been with us, then uh, you know that we've been looking at this account of events happening nearly 2,500 years ago in what is now Iran. We've heard how the, the king of the Persian Empire, this huge and powerful kingdom, has gone a bit power crazy. He's dismissed his queen, and after a, a horrific competition, appointed a young girl called Esther as his new queen, as she was basically the most pleasing to him in bed. We've then met the king's top advisor, Haman, who's given vent to his hatred of all the Jewish people, particularly another man in the empire called Mordecai. We've heard how the, the result of that hatred was a law. A law that everyone who hated the Jews throughout the empire could attack and kill them on a particular day. However, Haman did not know that Esther was also a Jew. Uh, he didn't know that Mordecai was her cousin and in fact also her uh, adopted father and so last week we heard how Esther exposed Haman and his utterly evil plot and at the end of last week we heard how Haman was executed his grasping evil finally consuming him as the king of the Persian empire put him to death partly for trying to commit genocide mostly for plotting to kill King Esther, although I suppose that was inadvertent in one way. So today we're here looking in uh, chapter 8 and the beginning of verse 9. And I've got six points. You can't say that's not value for money, right? Six points. None of this three business. Six points. So strap in. Uh, we're going to look at what happens after Haman's death with these titles. Reparation. Regulation, realization, although it's temporary, retribution, redemption, and realization again, and this time it's final. So, reparation, regulation, realization, retribution, redemption, and realization again. I'm calling this a just yet merciful redemption, and you'll get a you'll get a sense of why why I'm calling it that. But just to kick off, uh, just dip back into uh, chapter 7 there for a moment. Uh, right at the end, verse 10. Uh, the king's fury subsided. The king's fury subsided. All good then. Right, we're good. The end of the story. No. 
No, because justice has not been completely done at this point. There are still things left hanging. Yeah, Haman's been punished, but the impact of his sin is still continuing. You know, like you drop the stone into the water and all the ripples come out. Well, the stone's dropped out of sight. It's gone. But the ripples are continuing out across the, across the pond. So why do I say justice is not done? Because more is required. Our first point, reparation. To be fair, the king, the king has, has taken uh, uh, a good step, but now he's going to take another good step in chapter 8, verse 1. Uh, the family of Haman are not going to benefit from his we would say ill-gotten gains, from the, the wealth that he's accumulated from his, his evil. Uh, the king takes the property and the wealth that, that Haman has accumulated and passes it to Esther. His ill-gotten gains have been transferred to somebody who had risked so much to save her people. And it's a lot of wealth. Okay, it's a lot of wealth. The bribe that Haman had offered to the king to, to pass the the the, the uh, decree the law that would kill all the Jews. Some writers estimate that is as much as the annual income of the entire Persian Empire. So like almost one year's income of the whole empire. He had a lot of cash. But it's not only the wealth that he, he redistributes, the king also takes the authority that he'd given to Mordecai. He takes the, uh, the authority, excuse me, given to Haman, and he gives it to Mordecai. Uh, that's not just about uh, reparation and rewarding Mordecai, although that's quite true. It's also a really smart move. Because who knows what would have happened with a political vacuum at that point. Who knows what further mischief could have been multiplied by if somebody untrustworthy had been put into that role as chief advisor to the king. Now, bringing Mordecai in is both just and it's also politically smart. He's shown his character. Boy, has he shown his character up to this point. He's a worthy recipient of that power. So there's justice here. There's justice in redistributing that wealth, in redistributing that power. And all this has happened on the day when Haman is executed. It's still the same day in verses 1 and 2. Good then, right? We're, we're done. It's all okay? Finished? Done? No. There's still more needed for justice. Our second point, regulation. Having presented Esther and Mordecai with reparations, the king has then uh, just let it slide, really, and let the whole situation just slide. Between verse uh, 2 and verse 3, maybe about two months pass, we think. It's two months after Haman's execution, his edict to have all the Jews killed is still out there. And the king has done nothing about it. The king's anger, his emotion about uh, what Haman has done has subsided now and he's, he's left it. 
Maybe because he doesn't want to face that. Maybe because uh, once Esther's position is secure, uh, he feels that maybe it doesn't really bother him that much. You know, he's got a big empire. Killing a few hundred thousand, maybe, uh, you know, more. Who cares? doesn't really bother me. Um, but that's not justice. Do you see how somebody's evil, somebody's sin can continue after their death? By enshrining something wrong in law, Haman's plan, Haman's evil plan is continuing. His sin is continuing, the impact of it. That's not justice. Just because it now doesn't perhaps affect the king personally doesn't mean that justice is done. Just because we perhaps have received relief, compensation, whatever for our situation doesn't mean that justice is done. Justice has to be done for everyone. Hold that thought. Esther knows that her people are still scheduled to be massacred in about 10 months' time. Esther knows that a terrible genocide is still coming. And so she goes back to the king. Two months after the traumatic, dramatic events when Haman died. And you, you might remember the previous strategy she used with kind of a couple of feasts and like playing it carefully. And her strategy now is totally different. That it probably, you couldn't even call it strategy. In verse, verses three to six, she falls at the feet of the king and weeps and pleads and begs. This is raw, raw emotion. This is direct And surely the king will, will feel the sting of, of words like, how can I bear to see the destruction of my family? All the way through as I'm reading this, I've got another script going, which is the script from Ukraine. Just as Elliot was saying there. How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? Subtext from Esther to the king, why have you not fixed this? Why have you not sorted this out? We talked about this two months ago. Isn't this obvious? So the king maybe gets a bit defensive. He's saying, look, this is what I've already done. I've punished the guilty. We've redistributed his wealth. But he's got the point. And he now confirms that he will allow Haman's decree to be nullified. That's perhaps the word. A bit of a sidebar here. Uh, when you when we read verse eight there in, in chapter eight, it seems like once once the king of the mighty Persian Empire has decreed something, it, it can't be changed or withdrawn. Uh, maybe maybe that's because it would be seen as a sign of weakness. Maybe because dictators do not like to admit that they are wrong. To us, when you read it, it seems a bit impractical, unwise, even silly, that you can't just take that back. As Ian pointed out at the start of this series, there's much about the, this king and how he used his authority that was, was more than a little ridiculous. 
Anyway, whatever we think of that, as far as we can tell, the, the king cannot simply cancel out the decree that Haman sent out. Uh, so instead, in verse 11, Mordecai gets to write a new decree, a new law, a new edict. And it's striking how similar it is to the one that Haman wrote in chapter 3, verse 13. Like, really similar. It's got a lot of the same phraseology, a lot of the same, same things in it. Um, it's to take place on the same day. It's all about targeting a, a particular group of people. Haman's decree was the Jews. In this case, it's the enemies of the Jews. In both cases, it includes women and children. In both cases, it includes taking their goods, their plunder. You've heard about an equal and opposite reaction? The, the parallel degree, decree, notice, doesn't allow the Jews to go further than what, than what Haman had said. But it gives them the authority to defend themselves by at least matching the authority that was given to their, their enemies. This law says, stand and defend yourself. Stand and defend yourselves against people who want to do your harm. Don't do worse to them, but you can defend yourself. We're going to think more about that decree in a minute. But let's just see how it's received. Let's see how, when it's issued, how well it goes down. So our, our third point, uh, realisation, temporary. Uh, when Haman's decree was issued, chapter 4, we, we read there was great mourning amongst the Jewish people. And understandably so. They fasted and they wept. They had been in exile for years. They had been conquered, a conquered people. And now someone is plotting to annihilate them. They've been doing their best to survive. They're, they're scattered throughout this big empire. It must have been truly frightening. And truly frightening to know that you're waiting a year for that to happen, that sense of dread as that day will approach. But here now in chapter 8, verse, verse 17, there's joy and feasting, not mourning and fasting, when they receive Mordecai's de decree. A, a realisation of the, the justice that Queen Esther has been able to obtain for them. But it's not just the, the, the Jews. Back in chapter 3, we can read how when the first decree goes out, the whole city of Susa was, was bewildered by, by what Haman had, had put out as a, as a law. This pronouncement here, verse 15, the city holds a joyous celebration on receipt of the news. Even more so, verse 17, many people... Join with the Jews. Uh, there's some debate about the, their motivation there. We haven't got time to, to dig into that. 
Um, when the first decree is issued, Mordecai is found wearing sackcloth and ashes. He is in mourning, he is in grief. After this one, he's wearing royal robes, a crown of gold, a crown of gold that belonged to the king. It seems like everything is being remade. Hold on to that thought too. So, so it looks like it looks like it's all going to be good, right? This law's been passed. It, it seems to address it. Um, great, you know, it, it's good. We're we're done, aren't we? This is only a temporary celebrating. Just sending out a law doesn't mean anything until you put it into effect. This is like me if I'm if I'm if I'm painting a room or something and I buy the paint and I go well that's a that's a good job done that that's that's really good right we're sorted no no you've got to actually open the painting and put it on the walls this is like me watching Bake Off or something and thinking I've done a great piece of cookery or something baking no I've just watched the TV show I've got to actually make a cake if I want to apply it this decree this law has to be put into action and it's a pretty brutal decree isn't it isn't it let's dig into that a bit our fourth point retribution retribution we can we're now going to see how the people of god will use the authority that mordecai has given them to defend themselves Notice how it, how it goes out. Uh, uh, we've still got this thing where we're going to translate it into all the languages for the 127 promises, uh, provinces. How it's sent out in their own uh, language. Verse 9 there. Verse 10, also notice how it's going to be sent out on fast horses, especially bred for the king this is important the first decree's already gone out two months ago and you've got to get this there's no email here there's no whatsapp this is a huge geographic area that they've got to get it through i can't even imagine how many towns and cities and villages you have to get it through and if it's one day late innocent people will die and so there's an urgency here. We want to get it out. Mordecai uses his new authority, commandeers the fastest horses. But it is a, it is a brutal decree that Mordecai sends out. Let me just pause here and, and offer you some observations, which I, I trust you'll find helpful, from different writers about how we might see this how we might dig down a little bit into this and see this just a bit differently. Remember here, they're not being, the Jews are not being given the authority to oppress their enemies over the long term. This is one day. The Jews are still exiles. They are still a conquered people at this point. This is not somehow putting them above their enemy or putting their enemies under their boot. This is one day. Bear in mind from, from the, word, the, the wording there in verse 11 that they may only attack those who attack them first. This is defend you and your family. 
I want to suggest to you that, that everybody here has heard both decrees. They've seen both decrees. The empire's made enough of an effort to get them out, after all. So perhaps when some people got the first degree, the decree, they're going, okay, here we go, we're going to get these guys. And then they get the second degree, and they're like, okay, no, not, not such a good idea. The second decree hopefully deterred some of the people who might have decided they were going to attack them. The people who have attacked the Jews on the 13th of Adar knew that their targets had been given the authority to defend themselves and yet they still chose to attack. They still chose to fight them. Even though the, the fear of the Jewish people has obviously now gone round the folks at this point. Thirdly, when we look at verses like uh, nine, uh, chapter 9 verse 6 chapter 9 verse 12 chapter 9 verse 15 it, it appears that it's only men who are killed and we know that might just be how the number of dead was measured we know that's sometimes how it was true in the Bible however I want to suggest to you that that is because wives and children of their enemies were not killed by the Jews despite the fact they had authority to do so Despite the fact they'd been given the chance to do so, the, 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 in the king's name it had been told that is okay. They had chosen to be somewhat merciful to their enemies, even though their enemies were not going to be merciful to them. Same way when you, when you look at uh, chapter 9, verse 10 and 15 and 16, it specifically says the Jews did not lay their hands on the plunder, although they'd been told they could. Although Mordecai's decree had said, yeah, you can go and take their wealth, the same as they were going to take yours, they didn't. Again, that may, may well be the Jews being merciful to their enemies. I think that's very plausible. However, it may also be because the Jews saw this as a holy war. A holy war. We read about holy wars in the Old Testament uh, when the Jews were instructed by God to uh, undertake a holy war, they were forbidden to take the plunder from those who were being punished, from those who were being attacked. In that case, if, if this is the case, then, we, then the Jews can be legitimately seen as not only defending themselves, but also enacting this sentence the sentence that God had declared throughout the Old Testament for those who attack his people. For those who attack God's people in the Old Testament, this is the sentence, this is the punishment. We don't do holy wars now. Christians never have a need to go to a holy wars. Yes, there are just wars, but there are not holy wars. Holy wars are no longer necessary. They're no longer necessary because Jesus has come. The enemies of God cannot undo, undo the work of Calvary now. That's why it's different now, in this time. There is just such a thing as a just war. That's another sermon. Uh, 
don't forget the size of the empire here as well. 127 provinces, stretches from probably Ethiopia over to northern India. The death of 75,000 people on one day will not be one pitch battle across that whole area. We don't know exactly how it went out. We don't, we don't know how it... Because it's not recorded for us. But if, if you were to say that that 75,000 is averaged across 127 provinces, it's about 600 people in each province. This is not pitch battles. This is people, small groups, who are choosing to attack God's people. That hopefully gives us a little context for what Mordecai has written there. But there's, there's more to it even than that. There's more to it even than that. Our fifth point, redemption. There's a far deeper significance here. When we look at any part of the Bible, we, you, you know we will, we will say this, we want to at least for a moment consider where the story stands in the broader picture. Yes, the Bible is made up of 66 books, but it is one continuous story. One, one way, one important way we might think about that story is that it tells us how God has always meant to save a people for himself. It tells us that he wants to do that and he tells us how he's gone about doing that and that is called redemption. Redeeming a people for himself. So consider this. At this point in the Bible, 2,500 years ago, roughly from now, the Jews who were chosen by God faced annihilation. Faced annihilation by Haman's decree. That's the, that's the word in chapter 3, verse 13, annihilation. The Jewish people, the whole lot, were, be to, were to be wiped out, man, woman and child. And bear in mind, although they were scattered throughout the Persian Empire, there probably, were, probably weren't very many outside the Persian Empire. This is the genocide of the whole Jewish people. What happens if, if that went ahead? What would have happened if that had gone ahead? Obviously a tragedy at the time, but what would have it meant to the history of redemption in the rest of this book? By the time we get to the New Testament, there's no Simon Peter. There's no Matthew. There's no Paul. There's no Joseph. There's no Mary. There's no John the Baptist. There's no Jesus. If the Jews had been annihilated and Jesus had not come, we would have no way of withstanding our enemies now. The world, the flesh, and our own, and the devil, and our, our own sinful natures. We would be forever conquered by our sin. Without Jesus, we would have no way to survive the just punishment that we would be receiving for the things we have done wrong. But Jesus did come. The Jews survived. 
Jesus came and he lived and he died for us in our place. He took the punishment that was rightly ours. And now the victory that Jesus has won can be applied to his people, to us. Even as the victory Esther won was now being applied to the Jewish people here. That victory that Jesus won is ours to claim through his resurrection. And he will defend us from our enemies. He will give us his royal robes and his golden crown of his righteousness. Even though we deserve sackcloth and ashes. We will be honoured and favoured because of what he, have, he has done for us. We will have joy and feasting. Where before our right response would have been mourning and bewilderment. In a very real sense, these skirmishes that would have taken place were necessary not only to punish God's enemies at the time. Not only necessary to save an innocent group of people in the Persian Empire, but also necessary in the history of redemption. Necessary for Calvary. Necessary for uh, Easter Sunday. Necessary for the church to exist. Necessary for this church to exist. I do not doubt that God deeply felt the pain of the necessity of this, but it was necessary to get to where we are now. So, at such a high cost, 75,000 lives, justice was done, right? Not quite. Our final point, the final realisation. However many people are rightly punished, however many unjust laws and rules are revoked or overwritten, however many just laws are put into action, however many, even however many people hear the gospel, the good news about Jesus, there is still injustice in the world. As we've been praying about today, there is still injustice in the world, whether we see it on the news, whether we experience it personally, whether we actually commit it, whether we actually perpetrate it. There is still injustice. And like Esther, we cry out. We cry out against injustice. Perhaps like Esther, we even plead. Plead for ourselves, plead for other people. We're in that time. We're in this time. At the end of chapter 8 and the beginning of chapter 9 in one way. Decrees have been issued by God. We can read them in the Bible. And they are going to be finally applied. But they're going to be finally applied when Jesus comes. And he hasn't come back yet. Jesus will finally put two decrees into action. 
at the same time. Same as two degrees going on here. We need to remember that God loves mercy. It is in his nature. He is gracious. And so perhaps he has held back for a while his hand of retribution and punishment. He has given people the opportunity to hear the good news about Jesus and to repent. To experience life in in his good creation as, as broken as that can sometimes be. To have an opportunity to follow his son. But as well as being a God who loves mercy, he is a God who loves justice. Remember I said that justice needs to be done for everyone if it's going to be done. Be assured that when Jesus comes back, justice will be done for everyone don't fret when you see injustice don't fret when you looks like people are getting away with it when jesus returns he will put into action finally god's perfect Justice, his perfect decrees, and it is 100% effective. The decrees that those who have sinned against God will be condemned to death and to hell, and it will be perfectly enacted. No mistakes. Everyone, everyone, even those who are condemned to death, will say, Fair enough. That is right and that is just but jesus will also enact the merciful decree that those who have trusted him and turned to follow him will be saved not that they have earned it but by thrust by by trust and faith in jesus when he died on the cross that his work was finished that the price was completely paid once and for all that that was a hundred percent effective he will put that into action although his followers are still guilty under the first decree through the second one through faith we see the hand of god through faith we stand on his promise and we are redeemed saved to live with him forever in a new creation because like in this book everything is being remade we should be wearing sackcloth and ashes and yet we are given robes and a crown that belong to king jesus justice is done yet his people are mercifully saved because of jesus it is a just and yet a merciful redemption. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, there, there is a sense in which we could have gone to many of the places in the Bible today because of events uh, in Europe. We could have chosen another passage and yet through the providence of God that we've been hearing about in the book of Esther, you knew exactly what.
passage we would be hearing from today. Your timing is perfect. Help us, Lord, to see in your word, yes, the, the big geopolitical things going on. Help us also to see things going on in our, our own country. Help us to also see things going on in our own community, in Rotherham, in our own church, in our own households, our own lives. Lord, you love justice. Help us to be doing what we can to put your justice into action. Lord, you love mercy. Help us to be merciful to people. In the great trust and faith that your work is already finished and that when you come back, we will see the justice and mercy of God perfectly finished. We ask all this thing in your son's name. Amen. Amen. As we close, we're going to sing, uh, sing the song, Yes, Finish.